Hi, welcome to the 54th episode of the Story Bank at Stories at Work, a series where I curate stories from across the world that you can use in business. Today's story is from this book, No Rules Rules, by Reed Hastings, who is the co-founder and CEO of Netflix, and Erin Mayer, who is a professor at the INSEAD Business School. Now, if you like this story and any of our stories, do go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe. And when you're there, press the bell icon so that you get an alert every time we put a new story. And we put one new story at least every week. Let's start today's story. Reed Hastings started Netflix in May 1998 as the world's first online DVD rental store. When he started, he had about 30 employees and was carrying 925 titles, almost all the titles that were available in DVD during those times. Now, this idea of a DVD rental library had started a few years ago when one day Reed suddenly discovered that he had hired a movie rented a movie, a VHS tape, and he had forgotten to return it. When he went to the store to return it, he was slapped with a humongous fine. And that bothered him a lot. And the store that he had rented it from was part of a chain of stores, very, very popular and very famous those days, called Blockbuster. And what, when he studied the Blockbuster business model, he realized that a huge amount of their margin, their profitability, actually depended on those late fees. And he wondered to himself that a business model built on making people feel very stupid cannot have built great loyalty. And there was an opportunity if he could build another business model without that problem. And that is how Netflix was born. So it started, as I said, in May 1998 with zero late fees, just a membership. And it did very, very well. By 2001, he had over 400,000 subscribers a company of 120 people and growing. But that's when disaster struck. The first internet bubble burst. And along with that, off vanished more than hundreds and hundreds of dot-com companies. With those dot-com companies vanishing, venture capital vanished, and getting finances for a new company like Netflix, which was not yet profitable, was impossible. And they would go under unless they did something drastic. The morale in the company was already very low and it would now go even lower because Reed would have to sack at least one third of the number of people he already had and he had 120 people by then. Reed and his head of human resources, Patty McCord, spent agonizing weeks trying to figure out which of the 40 of the 120 should they lay off. Now the easy ones, the must keep pile, was made up of people who were both highly performing, highly creative, highly collaborative. But what about the borderline cases? What about those people who were very, very amicable, who got along with everyone, was loved by everyone, but were average performers? What about the ones that uh, worked crazily hard, but every now and then made errors of judgment and had to be handheld? And finally, what about those really high performers, really creative, but very pessimistic and people who didn't quite get to work together well, couldn't collaborate. Reed finally decided that he wouldn't have any of the three. The days leading up to the layoff was traumatic for Reed. He was very stressed. He not only worried and felt really bad about the people that he was letting go, people who were with him for the last three years, but he was also worried 
how would the others who were left behind react? Would they feel that the company was not loyal to them? Would they be bitter that they now had to carry much more workload? Would they be upset that they had lost their friends and colleagues? The day arrived and of course it was awful. There was lots of tears shed, tables banged and doors shut in frustration. By lunch, that bit was over. Now, Reed waited for the second bit, the backlash from the 80 survivors to happen. But nothing happened. There was calm in office. What happened next perplexed both Reed and Patty. Even though the company was in cost-cutting mode, even though one-third of the workforce was laid off, the place was buzzing, full of passion, full of idea. Then came the Christmas season, and the sales started growing again. And very soon, this team was doing much more work with 30% less people than before the layoff. And what amazed Reed is all this was done with people madly in love with their work, very creative, egging on each other, working with each other. And he kept asking Patty, what did we put into the air conditioner? What chemicals did we put in that this magic is happening? And as they explored and tried to figure out, they realized what had happened is the talent density in the organization had gone up. Now, Netflix always had good talent and great talent. But when they, if you pulled in the total talent and compared it with when 30% of the people left, their total talent went down. But the average talent per employee, that went up dramatically. And what Reed realized is that when you have a high performing environment, then high performers perform even better. They push each other, they challenge each other, they help each other, they collaborate. He also realized that when you put one bad person, one mediocre person, one lazy person in the team, the team starts performing disastrously. The same phenomena was observed in a study done in 2006 by Professor Wills Phelps of the University of New South Wales in Australia. In a paper titled, How, When and Why Bad Apples Spoil the Barrel, they found that even one negative member in the team can have a powerful detrimental effect on the performance of the whole team. What a powerful story. Where in business can you use this insight that Reed Hastings stumbled into? Many, many companies that I have observed and some that I've worked in use the indicator of performance as the achievement against target. So are we having a system where high performers who may be bad apples, not collaborating, are getting rewarded, but pulling down the overall achievement of the team and the organization? Do we have an amicable, nice guy to work with who is really pulling down the performance of the whole team? Or do we have someone who is in the let's keep him bucket because he's been loyal, but is throttling the performance of the team? Things to really think about. I hope you enjoyed that insight from, from Netflix.